Amen. If you have school-age kiddos up through the fourth grade, they can head out to our Vine Kids program right through these doors right here. Eloise is going to lead the way bravely. If, uh, if you are in uh, fifth or sixth grade-ish, you can uh, head out this way to the back doors, and you can follow people out that other door out there. And there's a uh, group, of, a mid-school group that meets out there. If you're older than that, you're, uh, you're stuck, so... How's everybody doing? Everybody hanging in there? Kind of a weird, like summer's kind of over, and uh, school starts on Tuesday for our oldest. He starts uh, middle school, which is just weird for us, and uh, he will start uh, middle school in a public middle school, so um, in here in Oklahoma City, so fun times. And uh, for the Scott family, we have no idea what we're doing, which is par for the course, so uh, it's good times. Um, We are going to be Continuing our study through the book of John, we'll be in John chapter 6 today, starting in verse 35, but we'll also be jumping around some. So uh, just to give a wee bit of background, remember that uh, this chapter, which is a very, very long chapter, um, has two of these very well-known miracles from Jesus, this feeding of the 5,000 and him walking on water. And we looked at, at two of those miracles, and, and those were all... Uh, Right before those happened, Jesus had found out that uh, John the Baptist had been brutally murdered, had been beheaded. And so he, before this chapter starts, had, had gone away to, to try to get away and spend some time with his father. And he saw a crowd of people. He had compassion on them. And then he went and he taught them. And then he fed them literally by making uh, fish and bread out of nothing and fed these people. And so he had this crowd of people following him. He sends the disciples away to go across uh, the lake there, the Sea of Galilee, and he goes up to pray, and then he walks on the water to, uh, to uh, meet up with him later on and, and finds Peter there, and Peter comes out on, onto the water and then sinks, and Trevor already preached about that. And then he goes, gets to the other side, and there's this group of people there, and they start talking to him about uh, wanting this bread. And they, what they wanted was there on a physical level, and they were hungry and wanted food. And we've seen this all throughout this book with, with the Samaritan woman at the well, with Nicodemus, where uh, Nicodemus is, you know, Jesus talking about birth, and Nicodemus is way down here on the physical level, not getting Jesus, talking about spiritual birth. You have the Samaritan woman, she's down here uh, talking about this water that she wants, and, and Jesus is up here talking about spiritual water, and, and they're talking about bread and food here. And Jesus is also using some of the same language, but he is speaking in spiritual terms. And so... It's in that uh, context that we jump into what happens here in verse 35. So it says in verse 35, Jesus then declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread of heaven that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? 
Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God, and only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So there is more in those verses than we would be able to dig into in a thousand lifetimes. Uh, So I feel a deep need to pray, so please join me. Uh, Lord, I, I love you. I love you, Lord. We worship a, a triune God, Father and our Son and Holy Spirit. We thank you for who you are, for your revelation of yourself to us through your word, through your creation, through the person of, of Jesus. We come to you humbly. We come to you and, and lay ourselves at your feet and ask you to teach us this morning, Lord. We need your Holy Spirit to show us what you want us to know. I ask you that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And we pray for each other in here. We pray for the person sitting next to us or in front of us or behind us that that you would teach them whatever you want them to know today. You know what we all need. Teach us today, Lord Jesus. I pray for every person in this room. You would teach us what you want us to know today. Just right now, just pray and ask the Lord to show you what he wants you to see. Ask the Lord to put your heart and your mind in, in, in a place where you can understand what he's going to teach us today. And not only understand, but that he would give you a heart to, uh, to apply what he wants us to know. Lord, we come before you in humble reverence at your word. We've asked you in your name, and we look forward to your answer. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we pray these things in your risen and exalted name. Amen. So, there really is quite a bit in here, and uh, Jesus, uh, as he is prone to do, will make statements that uh, are just a few words long and then go incredibly deep into theological or doctrinal areas. Um, But let's just get into it and walk through it and see where we end up. So the context, once again, was, was them, in verse 34, uh, they'd been having this discussion about uh, the forefathers in the desert eating the manna, and Jesus says, I'll tell you the truth, it wasn't Moses, but the bread of God is, is uh, he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, and they say, sir, from now on give us this bread. So uh, you're welcome to turn with me, but uh, I'm going to run back to Exodus chapter 16. And uh, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, so, but I'm going to s- hit a couple parts of it to remind us of where this story comes from that he's talking about. I encourage you also to read Exodus 16 this week, and uh, heck, read the whole book for it to be even better. But chapter 16 is, is where this story comes in. So the, the context of that story is that uh, the nation of Israel has been in slavery uh, in, the, in Egypt. They weren't a nation at that time, but they were the, the people of Abraham, and they were in slavery, God sends Moses to, to free them, the whole let my people go story. And the exodus happens with all these uh, plagues and miraculous things. 
they come out of Egypt, they walk through uh, the, the Red Sea on dry land, and they come out of the sea, and about three days later, they start running out of water, and they start getting hungry and grumpy. And in uh, 16 verse 2, it's, it says, in the desert, the whole community grumbled. We're talking probably, nobody knows exactly, but two and a half million people, it's a lot of folks, a lot of grumbling. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. This is not even half a week after they left. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. So, this is an encouraging word for their leader. Then the Lord says to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people who are, are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. And so the Lord would send this bread out, and it was, uh, would continue down into verse uh, 14. So it says, When the dew was gone in the morning, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? Which is the Hebrew word manna, which is where we get it from. For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. Down to verse 31, it says, The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. And Moses said, This is what the Lord commanded. Take an omer, which is about a half a gallon of manna, and keep it for the generations to come, and so that they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert, which I brought you, uh, when I brought you out of Egypt. And it ends in verse 35, The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. So you have this nation of Israel, a redeemed people, right? The Old Testament, nothing happens in the Old Testament on accident, okay? It's not that they wrote it in the book thinking, boy, that, I wonder if that'll come in handy later. No. So it all fits together. So this is a, an actual event that happened. It is an Old Testament uh, story that will point to a New Testament truth. It happens all the time in the Old Testament. Passover lamb, I mean, as you... You always read the Old Testament through the, the, the lens of the new, right? So this is what they are talking about when the, these guys come up to Jesus and they're like, hey, a long time ago when they were in the desert, you made, God made bread and gave them bread so they didn't have to go out and work hard. And they went and they collected this bread. And, and the Lord says that I gave it to them to test them to see if they would obey me. Forty years they went out every morning and for six days a week they gathered it. And on the sixth day, they got twice as much. On the other days, they were able to gather a, um, about a half a gallon per person. And it says those that gathered too much didn't have too much, and those that gathered too little didn't have too little. But anything that was left over rotted overnight because God wanted them to trust him that the bread, the manna, would be there the next morning. Except for the sixth day when he gave them a double portion so that they could rest on the seventh day and not have to go out and pick up manna from the ground. So that's the story that is the context of what is going on here. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. That's the context that he's giving here. They're looking for actual bread. Like the manna wasn't symbolic bread. You don't get fed by symbolism for 40 years, right? You get fed by food. And so they didn't get, they didn't, they were thirsty and hungry in the desert. So God literally provided food and water for them for 40 years. 
And they say, from now on, give us this bread. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Now he says, he who comes to me will never go hungry and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. So any of you who have been alive for very long in this hot summer know that you get thirsty, right? Because you sweat and your body needs to replenish electrolytes and water and all that stuff. You get hungry, you want a snack. Jesus is not saying that if you come to me, you will never have a a, a rumbly in your tumbly, right? He is saying, he is talking very clearly on a spiritual plane. And then he says, but as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. And he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. That, that word drive away is the same verb that John uses to describe Jesus uh, driving out the money changers from the temple. So Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Stick that in your wherever you stick things that I say, and, and we'll come back to it in just a minute. For I have, maybe you should write it down, but he says in verse 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus has already talked about this in chapter five, that he came uh, to do the will of his father who sent him. And in verse 39, he says, it's nice when Jesus says to do the will of him who sent me. And then he, fo- he follows up with, and this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose none of all that he has given me. So the, the word for lose there is the same word uh, translated uh, in verse 27, do not work for food that spoils uh, or it means perish. It's the same verb that John uses in uh, John three sixteen when he says that for God so loves the world that anyone who, who believes in him shall not perish, right? Shall not die, shall not rot, shall not perish. Jesus is saying, This is the will of him who sent me, which is the heavenly father, that I shall lose or that I shall not, I shall not fail to save all that he has given me. But do what? Raise them up at the last day. So remember that phrase because he's going to say it two more times in this passage. Raise them up at the last day. For my father's will in verse 40 is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life life, and I will raise him up at the last day. You see, the, Jesus is talking about the resurrection that he's already talked about in, in chapter 5. And this statement here, this is the first of, of the, Jesus has seven kind of I am statements in the book of John. And I am the bread of life is the very first of those seven. But he's coming to them and he is telling them, you do not believe. He's clear as a bell. You guys see me, you see the works I do, and you still do not believe. But all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Okay, you probably have questions popping up in your brain, so hold on to them, and we're going to work through the passage and then hopefully go back and and not answer those. So, um, that was a joke. I mean, we're not really going to answer probably all of your questions because uh, you can't tell them to me. But I guess you could, but we'd be here a while. So, But it is very clear in these two verses that it is God's will that every one that the Father sends to the Son, that Jesus will lose none of them. But instead of losing them, he will raise them up at the resurrection that is to come. If you don't know what I'm talking about when I say resurrection, I mean that the body that you're in right now is not all that you are, right? The claim that all that there is is the physical world, that there is no such thing as consciousness or a spirit— or a spiritual world, those things are lies and they aren't true. Because 
Anybody who really is honest knows that this cannot be all that there is, right? It yearns, the human heart yearns for something greater than the 76 years we get on planet Earth, right? And Jesus is saying, I will raise you up. This body will die. And uh, the, um, I read something this week by Ian Thomas who said that death is what is left when the life that should be there is absent. So when the life that is ours, which is our spirit and our, 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 our immaterial being, leaves, goes to be with the Lord, the body rots or gets burned up by bad guys or whatever happens, Jesus will resurrect that body in the last day. That's what the Bible clearly teaches, right? Just like Jesus' physical body was resurrected, so will ours be resurrected. And that is what he's talking about. It is the final proof of our salvation, okay? It's really important. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul spends almost a whole chapter explaining the importance of the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. So, that's where we're at there. In verse 41, it says, At this the Jews began to grumble. I love that word, grumble. It's like the onomatopoeia word, like bang and slap. And it's a word that sounds like what it is. You have a bunch of people grumbling, and they're all just grumble, grumble, grumble. When it says the Jews, though, I think that uh, this is a different group of people, probably. Uh, generally in John, the Jews, when it's stated like that, are the, the religious Jews who are, in, or who are being contrary to what Jesus is doing. And Jesus started out, remember, he'd come across the lake and he meets all these people on the shore of the lake. And near the end of the chapter, he's in the synagogue in Capernaum. So I think Jesus is probably walking and people are gathering around him. The text doesn't say that. I'm just trying to figure out where all these people came from. But um, I think it's a different group of people or people who were not maybe there at the beginning of the discussion. But here they are in verse 41. They begin to grumble about who? About Jesus. But grumbling is never positive. There's never like they were positively grumbling and building Jesus up. Um, they were grumbling about him. Why? Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. So Jesus is saying, bread that came from heaven, manna miraculously appeared and you ate it and you didn't die for 40 years. Nobody got scurvy or rickets or whatever you get from, you know, it was sustenance and sustaining in their time in the desert. Jesus said, I am that bread that comes down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say I came from heaven? See, they were incapable at this point of, of understanding or believing something that was outside of their known experience. Jesus is saying something that is blowing all of their thoughts away, right? He is not just making stuff up. He's not just saying crazy words. If this isn't true then Jesus is totally crazy and we should run from him because you don't follow crazy people because crazy people are crazy and they will take you places you don't want to go. But Jesus is saying things that are way outside of their understanding of who God is. Because look, they say, wait a minute. This is Jesus, the son of who? Joseph. Jesus was not the son of Joseph. Who does Jesus say he is? My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. Jesus, over and over and over and over again, you cannot read the book of John and say that Jesus does not claim to be the one and only Son of God. You can't. And they say, but isn't this the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? They're like, wait, this is Jesus, Nazareth, da-da-da, Joseph, 
carpenter, whatever, uh, Mary's done. We know the history. You know, she got knocked out before the guy. Yeah, we got all that. So this is who they, they cannot see past the physical. They cannot see past what they can empirically discover. And this is the, probably the most religious group of people on the planet at the time. They were insanely religious and believed in a God that was outside of all of these things. And yet they have Jesus right in front of them. And Jesus says, you see me and you still do not believe. So he says in verse 43, stop grumbling among yourselves. Uh, That'd be a good sign on a church. Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. Uh, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Okay. So Jesus is uh, bringing in some, uh, what we consider large doctrinal sort of pillars, right? Um, uh, One of them is called, in in big fancy words, it is divine election, that God chooses who he saves, okay? And the other one is human responsibility, that man has the responsibility to believe on Jesus to be saved, right? We are not going to solve that this morning. Uh, The greatest theological minds of all of theological minddom have never been able to figure that mystery out. So, but it's interesting to note that Jesus seems incredibly, perfectly comfortable within that tension. That there is a father, he says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And, look at that phrase again, I will raise him up in the last day. Those the Father gives to the Son, those the Father draws to the Son, are saved, and Jesus will raise them up at the last day, which is really good news. As a side note, the the doctrine of election is always used as an encouragement to believers, not a beat down to unbelievers, okay? So uh, our job is not to go pointing at people and saying, well, you must be the unelect. Uh, It ain't none of your damn business, sorry. Uh, that's, that's That's the Father's job, right? So stop trying to be God and saying who is and who isn't. Our job is to witness to the truth of Jesus, right? It is one of the biggest, sorry I said the D word, it is one of the the biggest things in Christianity is that we get up in God's business and try to do his job. One of those is judgment, and the other is election. We spend a whole lot of time griping among the church, grumbling, about trying to figure this out. Notice Jesus is not arguing with anybody. He is simply telling them what what is. And he's not trying to win a debate. He's just saying the truth. And he's even saying the truth and saying, you guys refuse to believe what I say. He doesn't beat them up and kick them and be like, oh, we've got to win the culture war. He just is saying what is true about himself. But they won't believe it. And Jesus is saying, listen, you cannot come to me. The word for can there is a, is a Greek word that means... Um, uh, it's a word where we get the word for dynamite, for power or ability. You lack the power or the ability to come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Uh, we need divine enablement to come to God. Then he says, it's interesting because right after that, he says, it is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. So he's referring back to, uh, to really to two things. One is in Isaiah chapter 54, where uh, God is talking about the kind of the consequences of, of Israel's redemption. So if you remember your Bibles in Isaiah 53, 
That is the super famous thing that we hear around Christmas sometimes. I can't get to it. It's in the same place in my Bible every time, but um, there we go. Uh, Isaiah 53 is where the famous, surely who took our infirmities and carried our, sol- our sorrows. We were considered him stricken by God, smitten by him. Uh, he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for his iniquities. It's about the suffering Messiah. So in, in 54, he is coming up and talking about the future glory that Zion will experience, that God's people will experience. And he says in verse 12, I will make your battlements of rubies, your gates of sparkling jewels, and all your walls of precious stones. He's saying all the things you built up to protect yourself out of granite and rough stones, I will make giant rubies and sapphires, and I will make beautiful what you were unable to build. And then he says, all your sons and daughters will be taught by the Lord, and great will be your children's peace. Does a parent have a greater hope than that their children can live in peace? This is what he's telling them in Isaiah 700 years before Jesus comes, right? This is what Jesus is quoting. All of you will be taught by God, which is amazing, because what Jesus is telling them right then is, it's happening now. God is teaching you, and you can't see it. But he also is, is referring to something in Jeremiah chapter 31, the beautiful book, Jeremiah. But he says in verse 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. And it is this incredible picture that gets, uh, is in the, all over the Old Testament. It's in the book of Hosea, where Israel is seen as this. Uh, uh, Hosea had to go and marry this woman named Gomer, and she became a, a prostitute, and, uh, which is not the ideal. And he then goes and rescues her. He buys her out of slavery caused by her own sin. And God uses this as an illustration of what he is doing with the nation of Israel. And he sends her, uh, she, she goes away because of her sin, and then he continues to pursue her with his love. And that is what God is doing in verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws It is an incredible picture of this love of God that is unstoppable, that will not cease, that pursues those that he loves. It's incredible. That's why he says, uh, it is written in the prophets, they will all be taught of God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. And no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God, which Jesus is saying is me. Only he's seen the Father. Verse 47, I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Now your forefathers ate the man in the desert and they died. But in contrast to dying in the desert, here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh or my body, which I will give for the life of the world. Just on just an initial reading, is Jesus saying, come take a big bite out of Jesus and be saved? No, he's just not saying that. It's really, he is talking on a spiritual level. He's, he's using a, a type of metaphor called, uh, called synecdoche that we use all the time. If you use, uh, when you say he, uh, he asked for her hand in marriage, he doesn't want her to cut her hand off and give it to him, right? Uh, when we say, oh, we need boots on the ground, what are we talking about? Soldiers. Right? Uh, if you remember from Julius Caesar where Mark Anthony says, uh, um, friends, countrymen, lend me your ears. Uh, he wants them to listen. He doesn't want the people to tear their ears off and let him borrow them for a while. Right? Uh, it's, it's how we as human beings use language to understand something. And Jesus, being the creator of human beings, uh, knows how to communicate something to us. 
So when he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven, if anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. What is he saying and what is he meaning? He is not saying, come take a bite out of Jesus, okay? He is saying, my body, I will, my, I will give my body so that the world can have life. What did the bread represent for the Israelites in the desert? You're in the desert. You're out of food. There's two and a half million of you. There's no time to plant crops. There is no McDonald's. There are no supermarkets. There is no nothing. They were in desperate and absolute dire need. And God answered their need with something sweet and easy. That's what he did. He's like, okay, you're hungry. Good. Here is perfect provision for you. All you got to do is wake up in the morning, scrape it up. You can cook with it. You can apparently bake with it. You eat it. It'll keep you alive. Wow. That's amazing. So Jesus is saying what? I am that bread. As the, that bread, the manna, was God's perfect provision for the nation of Israel. So I am the perfect provision for every sinner on this planet. It means that he is the sustainer and the satisfier of every human soul. So I had a look at the word uh, satisfy and satisfaction. And you look at synonyms for satisfaction are content, delight, enjoyment, gladness. To sustain means to support the weight of, to prop up, to carry, also to nourish. Like a, a mother gives sustenance to her baby as she nurses that child. So if Jesus is claiming to be the sustainer and the, the satisfaction, he is the, the ultimate satisfaction, the ultimate sustainer of all humankind. What does that mean? Because if I look at my own life, and sometimes preaching ruins a whole week because you, uh, you can't get away from stuff, and you have, uh, we have four kids, and I talk about my kids all the time because I tell people that they constantly reveal all my inadequacies, and, and they do. Uh, I am, <laughs> I have, you know, I have parts of me that uh, God is still doing a lot of work on, so uh, a lot of work. And those kids reveal those parts. <laughs> uh, each kid reveals a little bit of something different. So uh, if get, maybe we have more kids. There's more that God wants me to work on. Um, so you guys with two are just doing you really good. So uh, you're holier than I am. So let's come back to that in just a second. I want to just address really briefly the, some of the, the big pillars that pop up in this passage. Um, like I said, honestly, in a thousand lifetimes, we could never uh, come to, I don't think, a full understanding of all that Jesus is saying here. But one thing that is hugely important, and we use big words and, and theological terminology, and I, I want us to understand that God initiates our salvation, okay? The ramifications of all that, what that looks like, how do you get all those answers? I, I don't know. I don't know. But it says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me woos you, draws you to him. All that the Father gives me Whoever comes to me, Jesus will never drive away. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me. If you are a believer today, God wants you, he sought you out, and he gave you to Jesus. And Jesus will not lose you. 
He's not looking around for his keys, okay? He doesn't lose stuff. He's God. Not only will he not lose you, but he is going to prove his love for you by raising you from the dead in the last day. It's true, and it's incredible. I don't know how that mystery of God electing people to salvation and people having the responsibility of believing on him, I, I don't know how that gets worked out. When we get to heaven, I'm sure there'll be a line to ask Jesus that question. Uh, I'd rather just worship him instead of asking him stuff. I just want to hug him and say thank you. I want to just be with him. I don't care about his questions. You see, little kids, they ask parents questions. Why, 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 what, what? Because they want to know. But what a child really needs is a parent to answer those questions. They don't need their question answered. They need someone to love them. I am okay not having my question answered in this regard. The reason I'm okay with it is because Jesus is. He seems perfectly comfortable in that great dilemma. And uh, all of these pointy-headed theologians uh, who have written wonderful things and wonderful commentaries about the Bible, and I suggest that you read all the good ones. They don't know either. And they, as Tozer says, cover their deep ignorance with words because we just don't know. But what we do know is that if you are a believer, if you're not a believer, don't worry about that part. Worry about the rest of what's gone before in the book of John where he says that if you don't believe that you're condemned already and to believe on the name of Jesus and be saved. If you are a believer, God wants you. He pursues you. The images through the entire Bible of God's pursuit of those he loves are amazing. Amazing. You were a lost sheep that he went and got. You are a wayward wife that he pursued and wooed back with his stern hand and his angry voice. No, with his tender love. God is the initiator of our salvation. Uh, Jesus alone is the source of eternal life. He is the satisfier and sustainer of our life. Jesus alone is the source of our eternal life. That means that you can actually be good enough to earn it, and you can't be good enough to maintain it, right? So if you think, I got saved by grace through faith, but the rest of it's kind of up to me, good luck with that. Uh, you're in for a really rough ride. Jesus is the source. What does he say is the bread of life? I. He says, I am the bread of life. You who are weary in the desert and grumbling, what is the answer to that? It is the person of Jesus. He gives us himself. It's amazing. Jesus is also our assurance. And that's another big doctrinal pillar in here is the assurance of the believer. Can you lose your salvation? Can you whatever? Uh, I don't know. Wrestle with the same questions, right? Uh, can, can you lose your salvation? I don't know. When I lost my keys, I lose my salvation. I misplaced it. I put it stuck in the where? I'll find that my kids took it and hid it under the car seat. I mean, I don't know. Uh, what does Jesus say? What does he say? All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Okay? 
And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose, that I shall not fail to save all that the Father has given me, but raise them up on the last day. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. God is a God who is incredibly intentional. He did not accidentally draw you to himself and save you. He did not accidentally send Jesus and be like, wow, I hope this works out well. He was planning the entire time to redeem his creation. It's the story from Genesis through the maps, right? God's people fell in sin, and the rest of the story is him redeeming those he loves. It's incredible. And you are redeemed. He loves you. He intentionally drew you to him, and he continues to woo you with his love. It's amazing. We'll end on a negative here. Uh, and that is that grumbling reveals our dissatisfaction with God's good provision. When the Israelites were in the desert, what did they do? Grumbled. Grumble, 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 murmur, complain. They are standing there in front of Jesus, who they have seen do miracles, and Jesus is telling them, God is talking to you. That's what he's telling them. And they say, why does it make any sense? They are utterly dissatisfied with the provision of Jesus as their salvation. Do you ever grumble? I didn't have to look at the definition of grumbling because it kind of explains itself. Grumbling people don't smile. Grumbling people aren't like, hey, how's it going? Grumble, 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 grumble. No, grumbling is like this. Grumble. Grumble, grumble, mumble, mumble, complain, complain, gripe, gripe, grumpy, grumpy. Oh my gosh. I have a streak of grumpy in me. It's terrible. Terrible. Hate it. Uh, but I, sometimes I can get a full-on grump. I wake up in the morning, and I'm like, I'm a grump a moose. And it is just ridiculous. And I just, I have to go to Jesus. And it's like, in, in the wisdom of the great theologian Winnie the Pooh, uh, he had, when he had a rumbly in his tumbly, what was it time for? Time for something sweet, right? What did he love? He loved honey. What did the manna taste like? Wafers of honey. So when you are grumbly, time for something sweet. What is the sweetest name of all? It is Jesus. You have to go to him. There is no other alternative. You can smoke dope. You can get hookers. You can get money. You can buy stuff. This is what Ecclesiastes talks about. This wisest man who ever lived did all the drugs and had all the women that any man could ever imagine. He bought property. He had successful businesses. He did everything that you can accomplish on planet Earth. It was all vanity. It was all vanity. None of it mattered at all except for Jesus. He is the sole sustainer and satisfier of your heart. So if you have a heart that is grumbling inside, that is yearning for something else, you will find it in Jesus and in nothing else. So stop looking for other things. Figure out what it is. You don't have to make a list of other stuff. Just turn your back on that stuff and go to Jesus. Do it now and tonight and in the morning when you wake up with a rumbling in your tumbling. Go to him. 
Why do you think he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened? When we try to find our satisfaction in anything but Jesus, we will always be miserable. There's so much in this passage. Uh, But next week, we're going to trudge on into, no, we're not going to trudge, we're going to joyfully gallop through, uh, through trudge meaning the pace, right? We're going to, I'm going to wander through the garden. I'll say that. Uh, next week, we'll keep, keep trucking. And I just encourage you, just this passage just, just ate at me all week. Um, and I was trying to figure out and trying to get all of my questions answered and trying to, and the Lord was just bugging me all week with it. I was like, ah. And he just, just finally, he just said, would you just just come to me. That's what the whole thing is about. Let's pray. Lord, we just so love you. We're so in absolute need of you. And I just, I just confess my deep need for you. I need you. I, I want my questions answered, but I need my Lord to fill me with your life. I need you to be the bread of life that I come to over and over and over and over again came to you to be saved, and I need to come to you to live out that salvation, O oh Lord. Would you help us to do that today? Help us come to you, Jesus. As we respond to you in worship, I, I encourage anybody here, get on your knees if you want to. Lay flat on the floor. Nobody cares. Go to the Lord. Receive your sustenance from him. Receive your satisfaction, your gladness, your fulfillment, your contentment, your delight. And just delight in him today. And rest in the truth that he chose you. That he literally moved heaven and earth to save you. And that he continues to indwell you with his spirit and love you and draw you to himself with his steadfast love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.